You're listening to Felony Podcast with your host, Dave Dahl, on the Startup Radio Network. The Felony Podcast explores ex-felons that have gone on to launch their own startups. We explore the ups, the downs, the behind-the-bar stories with these founders. Felony Podcast airs every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. My name is Mark Grimes, co-founder of Startup Radio Network. Also with us in the studio, Dave's partner in crime, Lad Justison. And here's a man with a plan, leader of the band, buff and tanned, Dave, the killer bread man, doll. Thanks, Bob. Welcome to the Felony Inc. podcast, live from downtown Portland, in another beautiful day in the great Pacific Northwest. I'm your host, Dave Dahl, a four-time loser who finally found a way to win. I replaced what was becoming a habit of incarceration with education, medication, and eventually an honest occupation, the creation of Dave's Killer Bread. It's kind of a mouthful there. Now I am on a new mission to inspire and help others reach their own potential by overcoming limitations that are placed on them by the world and by themselves. On Felony Inc., our main goal is to interview guests guests who have turned a corner in their lives and are examples of personal transformation. Search Felony Inc. on your podcast app to hear previously recorded episodes of our podcast. With me in the studio, as usual, is my right-hand man, a man with a perfect face for radio, Mr. Lad Brian Justison. Hey, hey, what's up, buddy? Well, why did you decide to use my middle name today? It sounds kind of official. Makes you, makes you sound like somebody. Well, I, I hopefully I am somebody. All right. Well, hey, look. You know what? We got a lot of good stuff coming up here, Dave. You know, we got, we got uh, on, on August first. Mm-hmm. You know, we got uh, the opportunity to play for the Cascade Blues Associating. It's going to be down Association. at Cat. That's right, mm-hmm. and we're going to be down at Cat Fit Cash Fish. If I can get that out, lose. Uh, it's going to start at seven. So anybody wants to come down there, and then we got this really cool thing going on on August fourth, which is uh, for M Seed. It's a lo- little place down in Oregon City, and yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's a little thrift store that uh, uh, their proceeds go to helping. People transform their lives, mainly people who have uh, struggled with drug addiction, homelessness. Uh, they do good work out there, and we're going to try to raise some money for them. That's right, Dave. You know, they actually will take somebody right off the streets who is willing and able to go into their program. They will put them in, take them out of state, which is a good thing because it gets them away from what they're doing, and put them in an inpatient program for up to a year. That's pretty amazing. That's um that's, that would usually be very, very expensive. Yes. But anyway, they're doing great things over there. So everybody come down. That's August 4th, and that's going to be um, at the Eagles Lodge down there on about 50th and Hawthorne, downtown Portland. Okay, and then we have the Lens Fair on the day after that. If you look up the Lens Fair and uh, see us down there, that'll be an outside event. And finally, um, you know, we're going to have a, a big event at my my building, the uh, Benson Tower, and uh, Granddaddy's going to play that event. So that's going to be just a big social event, but I think you can sneak in. 
You could probably sneak in there. Well, we'll have some sneakers. Yeah. All on, are you going to sneak in? I don't think I should have to do any sneaking <laughs> when yeah. I'm with you guys. Yeah, he could probably be an honorary member of the band. If not, uh, if not a uh, guest um, sit-in musician. That's right. I would love to do that. We've hey. talked about that a few times. Let's make Why that not? happen. Yes, yeah. let's do Why it. Two songs. You do some keyboards or something, you know? Yeah. I know you do keyboards. I do keyboards. I could probably sit in on some keyboard, guitar. Yeah. Uh, sing a song if yeah. Dave wants to. Oh, of if, course. If you can, if you can lay back a second. Anytime. Right oh on. God, I love <laughs> that. Sounds real fun. I much prefer to kick back, play a little guitar, and back up vocals. I was going to say, I'd like vocals. to see you kind of like a let loose. Yeah. 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 Well, you're welcome anytime, Alan. Thank you. All right. Good stuff. Well, hey, our guest today was formerly uh, in school to become a massage therapist, and also was, has a degree in divinity from Harvard. Wow, Harvard, buddy. She is a former prison chaplain who now works in prison, prison administration. She is very insightful about what incarcerated folks experience and how they deal with things. Her name is Kelly Raths, and I've, um, I've slightly paraphrased the following uh, quote that is, is attributed to her. I read this, actually, and I, I had to change a few words so uh, that it made sense um, as I read it. I'm not so keen on what we do in our country around prisons. It can and does go both ways. There are some folks who will go through our correction system and leave it traumatized. They will leave it as a much more savvy criminal than they ever were before. Now that sounds familiar. Um, But there is the other group who, if they're willing to be honest, they'll tell you, and here again, I paraphrase this, it's where I paraphrase. Uh, that the best day they've ever had in their life was the day they spent in prison. They're sober, they're around thoughtful folks, and they are making music or some other meaningful thing. This makes a lot of sense to yours truly because I, uh, I actually discovered freedom for the first time while I was incarcerated after I waved the white flag and I asked for help. Acceptance and humility made me teachable and gave me the courage to begin my own transformation from bad seed to good seed. I have never spoken with Kelly before, but from what I read, she understands that phenomenon. Should be an interesting interview. What do you think, lad? Oh, man, I'm telling you, here we go. Why don't you uh, introduce our guest? Well, welcome to, to Felony Inc. Podcast, Kelly Raffs. Is that how you say it? Is that how you pronounce it? That's how you say it. It's like um, I equated it when I was a chaplain. Chaplain Rast is kind of like being called Dr. Payne, having the last name. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Rath. Just put a W in front of it, right? Uh, Yes. The wrath of God, (laughs) in case anybody missed that. well, let's, let's get it. You know what? This is actually a, a one of Lad's strengths again here. Um, as, when I was in prison, I never really talked to a chaplain much. Uh, I was kind of on my own there. I did discover I, what I finally came to recognize as um, what, I believe, what I believe to be uh, uh, spiritual principles that have changed my life. Uh, but I don't, I've never discovered anything that I could say I... I I could put my my finger on that I believe in. I just believe in the phenomenon. I believe in in the process. And uh, Lad, on the other hand, is a man of faith. 
I, I use the term man loosely, but the faith part, <laughs> I think, is, is for real. That's right. You know, I, that was, um, you know, Kelly, that was one of the things that made me change. And, and to tell you the truth, I think that because of that change, um, it was one of the reasons why me and Dave became friends uh, in prison. He's seen it. He, he didn't know me before, of course, but he's seen a change in my, in my life. Somebody positive, somebody trying to do the right thing, trying to stay out of trouble and, and trying to just, uh, you know, make the best out of whatever we could uh, get out of the, the prison system. So I can appreciate that. So, um, as, again, I want to welcome Kelly. And uh, Kelly, what do you have to say about all that? Did we, did we open you up okay? <laughs> I, I think you did a fine job. Yeah, I, you know, as we had mentioned, as we were just kind of connecting before the call, um, I started my work in chaplaincy. Once a chaplain, I think, kind of always consider how I see the work, um, you know, hopefully through that kind of chaplaincy lens of making meaning and concepts of redemption and, um, you know, other, other pieces like that. I'm um, currently, as you had said, an administrator, um, but... Uh, yeah, certainly kind of my fond memories and I think my formative memories and understandings of this work and this system um, come from uh, entering it as as a chaplain. Now, as a chaplain, um, you must, I just can only imagine the personalities you dealt with and, you know, the levels of sincerity and the level, you know, the, the manipulation. Um, I mean, I could go on and on, I'm sure, about the negative parts and uh, the, the challenges you had there and, and trying to find a, a, the person's true um, intentions and so forth. I, I just don't even know what a chaplain would do in prison. Yeah, well, in I can speak for what happened um, in Oregon. Um, my time in Oregon, I did do some work in Massachusetts in the system there. Um, I did four and a half it, years yeah. there. I wonder if you were there when I was there. <laughs> no, you're, I don't, you're not yeah. old enough. You're not old enough. But go ahead. <laughs> um, you know, in Oregon, I think, you know, for me and for most of my chaplain colleagues, so in Oregon, there's 21 um, chaplains paid by the state of Oregon. And so um, that's somewhat unique. Um, a lot of folks kind of come in from a particular affiliation, and that's their their kind of interest and um, purpose is to be there from that affiliation. For uh, myself and my colleagues, the purpose was to really um, be there so that people of all of all inclinations, whether you had something you describe as faith or some, you know, every human being is trying to make meaning. And so really um, to have a chaplain there to create capacity and space for people to make meaning. Um, and then certainly to facilitate you know, in the United States, the rights of religious expression, you know, are very important. And so we host all kinds of, it's probably the most religiously pluralistic place in the state of Oregon. You can have a, um, you have an Ossetrue, you know, which kind of a Nordic-based faith bloat happening right next door to a Jehovah's Witness sing-along, right next door to the Nations of Islam <laughs> event, you know, so it, it's, it's a rich, rich place of religious expression that I think, you know, the hopefully the intent is um, to create space just to make meaning and allow people to make meaning in some way that is honest. I, one of the challenges, I think, as a prison chaplain or just religion in general, religiosity, faith, is, um, you know, if you have an addiction, that addiction can just as quickly become 
a belief system and um, swapping out those. So anyway, just helping folks find something where you're really digging in. Um, and that was that was kind of what we did. Where were you a chaplain at? Um, was it just one place or, or more than one? Uh, I was a chaplain at OSCI and then OSP, and then I supervised the chaplains uh, statewide. Oh, so you were the, the, the head of the champion, uh, the chaplain network, basically? Yeah, myself and another gentleman, yes. Interesting, okay. So Kelly, why don't, can, you, can we go back just a little bit and, uh, and uh, give us an idea of, of you know, why, why did you decide to go and be a chaplain inside a prison? It was the best job. Uh, <laughs> Paid the most. That's right. no. yeah. Great benefit. Um, no, I, I, my interest in criminal justice started when I was in grad school out in, uh, out in Boston, and I started volunteering through a couple different organizations that went into the prison system there. Um, one was uh, to provide academic support to people getting their college degrees through BU. And the other was with a group of uh, Quakers who did uh, um, alternatives to violence program. And, you know, for myself, and I think a lot of folks who start to engage in criminal justice, um, it became fascinating, infuriating, and it just captured my imagination. Um, so I was studying public policy and religion and kind of how belief systems shape public policy and uh, ended up with a master's of divinity degree. So when I moved out to Oregon after a year or so, that became a great way for me to get my foot in the criminal justice door and have stuck around since. Interesting. So um, it looks like you, you did some work in Montana. Was that before? Was that yeah, I'm, I'm from, yeah, I'm from Montana. And so um, that's where I grew up and went to college and worked there prior to going out to Boston. <laughs> oh, because that was before you became, uh, you know, you took divinity and all that. Okay. Correct. Um, so go ahead and tell us, I, w I mean, there's got to be just a ton of things you can talk about that you have experienced um, as a chaplain uh, in the prison system. And um, again, I was, I was being a little bit... Uh, you know, uh, cynical, but I'm not, I'm not really cynical about it. I think that it's, um, it's absolutely, can be an amazing thing if people can learn those principles that I believe are universal, that change your life, that transform us and give us a chance to transform and find redemption. So, um, can you tell us just, can you give us some examples of folks that were, um, interesting in one way or another? Sure. Yeah, let me dial up a couple folks in the memory bank here. Um, it, so combination of, I think, people's stories and then certainly my own story kind of blending into that. You know, one of the things as a chaplain that I was struck by and then, you know, what really became both moved me and I, I really looked forward to and enjoyed for the most part while being a chaplain was interacting with the Native American community uh, inside of our prisons. And so one of the things that was so interesting for me about uh, Native American religious and cultural practice inside of prisons is that given the, you know, the historical 
kind of eradication of Native American practice and culture and identity, it was not unusual for people to come to prison in Oregon, um, identify, you know, as you're kind of, you're taking time, you're reflecting, part of it is you're bored, you're trying to figure out what crowd you're going to hang out with, you know, those sort of things. Sometimes that's part of motivation, but another you know, motivation, you know, if I were in prison, is a big motivator for me would be um, the ceremony of the sweat lodge. So frequently at all of our facilities and um, at varying uh, kind of varying cadences, uh, they host uh, sweat lodge ceremonies. And so the men would, um, and I worked just with men, but the men would uh, learn the process of the sweat lodge, learn how she breathes, learn the orientation, the relationship to the earth. And, and through that, that powerful ritual, that powerful ceremony would come to maybe for the first time um, start to identify with that part of their culture, with that heritage. Maybe it was their mother or their grandfather or something like that. But it was interesting to me that for a number of folks, they came to prison and were given the opportunity to learn what that identity meant. Um, you know, and then it, 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 interesting how prison kind of takes on its own religiosity. Not all traditions, Native traditions, celebrate the sweat. And so, um, you know, for some folks, they'd be celebrating the sweat, but realize that kind of their band, their tradition, you know, that wasn't necessarily one of their ceremonies. But I just thought that was fascinating, kind of on this microcosm level, that a prison where, you know, maybe in many ways, again, is kind of eroding and rupturing people's culture um, became a place where they really came to claim that identity and have learn and be exposed to it in a different way. So I remember really being moved by a number of Native men who, you know, coming to understand what, what does the Red Road mean and what how do they practice that? And, taking that on in a way that um, maybe the rest of the world didn't kind of offer them those teachings. So, well, I uh, think that, I think that uh, prison does offer the opportunity for, and one thing we do have in prison is time. And um, if we choose to spend our time wisely, that, I mean, that's an example of that, where, uh, you know, you do have, you don't need, I don't believe you need a lot of material things to find um, great spiritual things. So I, I, I believe that's what you're talking about, and specifically the, uh, the Red Road. I don't know what the Red Road is, but I, I would guess it's uh, similar to the Buddhist middle path. Uh, because yeah. because the same principles seem to kind of go between religions. Do you, do you have um, any particular beliefs that you like to profess, or is that a private thing, or uh, is there any anything you can tell us about that? Yeah, sure. Um, I so I grew up in Montana, out uh, out out in Montana, like the big, wide open, big sky country aspects of Montana. And so, while I grew up, I was ordained in the United Methodist Church. Um, certainly was influenced a lot you know i we grew up on a, a border of a couple different reservations of different ranches that we worked so i think you know in, in many ways i was influenced by that kind of native american sense of awe of nature and um so that certainly informs my belief practice but um you know from christianity i've always had some ambiguity i guess if you'd call myself or i'd call myself probably more progressive on the christianity scale so to speak. But um, one of the things that I 
in my Christianity, while there are many things that I wouldn't profess that maybe are kind of popularized or culturally normed, um, one of the things that I do love about Christianity is that this concept that God, higher power, became one of us, right? So um, learned that there are times where it really sucks, there's times where it's lonely, there's times where it's great joy, like what does it mean to live inside of a human body and interact and be? And so, um, yeah, so for me, that's, uh, I would identify myself as Christian, and uh, that's probably kind of the most moving aspect of that faith practice for me as someone the idea that higher power being can really understand what it means to live in the skin. So. Yeah, okay, that's um, that's good insight. I, I, I read the article about you, and anybody who hasn't read the article, it's um, it's in the Atlantic. Oh, and, yeah. And it's called, How Do People Find Forgiveness When They've Been Sent to Prison? And um, I found it a good article. I. I there was, uh, it seemed like they repeated themselves once or twice, got redundant, um, but that's not your fault. <laughs> now, I read this quote here, uh, another quote. Um, it says that you, well, this isn't a quote, this is something else where it says that you will be featured in a documentary about chaplains later this year. Now, I don't know what year they're talking about. Did you already, did that already happen? Or, that did happen, yeah. And so it's a documentary about chaplains in general, right? Um, it is. is there a name? Do you have a name of the the documentary? <laughs> no. I should. I I think it's called Chaplains. Just Chaplains. That makes sense. Okay. I, I believe so. It ran on PBS. Uh, gosh, this was a couple of years ago. Um, and Martin Doblemeyer uh, produced it, and yeah, he highlighted chaplains out of various. Uh, kind of various disciplines, whether it's uh, hospice, um, any number of kind of settings, hospital settings, other things. And he came to the prison system here in Oregon. Well, you know, Dave, it's that time, so we got to take just a quick break, Kelly. Uh, CPA okay. dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startup radio. Tell them Dave and Lad sent you, and we'll send you a special surprise. Seriously, we will. Well, uh, is it a good surprise or a bad surprise? Well, the kind of surprises that you always surprise me with are kind of, you know, not brave. I'm not asking you about you. I'm asking, I'm asking about the CPA dudes. Oh, yeah, it's going to be a great prize. All right. Hey, well, I'm going to get back to Kelly. She's a lot more interesting than you are. I know. Well, hey, Dave, you know, I have I have a question for Kelly. Okay. You know, um, Kelly, the thing we like to we like to talk about on this program when we have guests that have been formerly uh, incarcerated is the change. You know, um, you know, and, and I know that being a chaplain there, you've probably seen those changes, and uh, you know, you're, you're a part of that. Um, do you have any uh, anything that you could tell us? Any examples of of things you've seen, and you know, and the transformation in those inmates? Yeah, lad. I, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm. I love the question, and I'm finding I'm a little ambivalent to the question. Um, and here's why. Part of it, I got to tell you, one of the things for me about working in criminal justice is 
um, you know, one, I think trying to help all of us, and you certainly know this and your listeners understand that this, the criminal justice system and the prison system is very unique in America. This is a very American process. And part of that uniqueness is, you know, this idea, we, you know, we do prisons like nobody else, the vast scale of our population that we put into them. And then for me, one of the um, both interesting but I think troubling things then is we become pretty fascinated by the prison system. And part of that fascination or fixation is, um, is this redemption story, right? And, and Dave, I, I love how you open it, but I, my caution is I don't want, I don't want it to make it sound like, oh, this person came to prison and they met me and other people and took some programs and because of that they're changed. Like, kind of believe people are on a trajectory and they would have changed anyway. Um, so yes, I know many folks with beautiful change stories, but I, I don't want to too closely equate that to them going to prison, maybe if that makes sense. Yeah, I, w- um, I would just rather, I mean, I think that, you know, clarify Lad's uh, question a little bit. It's, it's more like um, adversity changes people. And adversity, you know, definitely speeds that process up because if you don't change, you you just keep suffering. And um, the suffering leads to change. That's my experience. And I think it's Lad's experience, too. Um, And most people who have transformed. So we're just, I'm just thinking who, um, there must, you must have seen some great uh, transformations or at least... Um, some interesting stories of success in there. Or yeah. Do, or do the people that come to you, are they kind of just, um, do you see more of them in limbo or floundering rather than succeeding and changing? I'm, I'm yeah, just asking. Think, <laughs> just yeah, trying to get clear course, here. Yeah. No, great question. And thanks. Yeah, thank you. That adversity leading to change. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think it's a variety of folks. I mean, we would have some folks, uh, you know, I recall one person in particular who had come, um, and un- <laughs> sometimes people come to the chapel because they get summoned to the chapel. And so the, often if someone wasn't a regular person that came to the chaplain, if they got called to the chaplain's office, they usually had a great deal of terror because in an, an anonymous, like kind of an unprompted uh, call to the chaplain's office often meant someone you cared about had died. And we were, you know, going to inform you of that and uh, facilitate phone calls and things. So I, I did, I'd have a gentleman that I'm thinking of who'd come to the chapel um, because he had lost someone and we were letting him know and letting him connect with family. And that opportunity you know when you when people come kind of armored up their body language that um you know i think for men they come in expressing a great deal of anger that's the vibe that's coming off of them and that anger oftentimes is covering up a whole you know an incredible amount of trauma um but that interaction that you know summons to the grim reaper so to speak we used to kind of joke was um an opportunity where relationships started for me that then led to, um, you know, this gentleman coming back up a couple more times, curious about this or that, and then um, coming involved. And we were doing a lot of restorative justice programming at the time and other kinds of things. And to see this very kind of noble man without 
capacity to express over a couple of years become a noble man who had an incredible capacity for leadership. Um, and then out of that kind of healing his own trauma and you know, it's just it was just beautiful to watch him lots of opportunities to watch people just unfold and and take that deep dive because you have to be so dang brave to do that you know certainly in prison or in any time where um you're going to step into the hurt and the joy and anyway i really remember um one time being out in an event where i looked over and i saw him smiling and he had the most beautiful smile and people paused for a minute and they're like what the hell is that on your face sort of you know like it so <laughs> opportunities like that and he certainly kind of represents that of um being just being very brave and you know in the chapel we try to just create lots of spaces where people could could unfold and step in those spots so yeah he's out now he's um out in another state uh he he did it he was doing some great work had a great job and then you know was kind of really proud of him he was done with the job because he he wanted to move on to something that was a little more meaningful and so uh last time i talked to him he was doing really well that's great i um i remember you, you speak of bravery and um i've never really used that word for it but i think of of the courage i, I call it courage that i that i was able to um I was able to access or, uh, due to this amazing humility that I discovered and acceptance. I, when I uh, was able to say to myself, hey, you know, who am I? Um, can I just be who I am and forgive those who, uh, who I feel have wronged me and, um, and stop judging everyone uh, because I'm nobody to judge anyone? And uh, this humility and acceptance uh, eventually led to courage. And I'd like to, I, I imagine you've seen this sort of the part of the transformation in people, right? When they stop yeah. lying to themselves and others so much and just accept themselves for who they are and, and become something else, something who they should be. Have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, and I think that it happens sometimes in least expected places. You know, for a lot of folks, and, you know, I certainly am not a, a proponent of segregation or you know, segregated housing, the whole, and other sorts of things, but there were, there were a number of pretty remarkable stories for folks who had the wherewithal to, you know, have presence in those settings where that time and that segregation unit became... You know, it was the book on the book cart, the random book that, you know, I'm going to pick this up and read it because there's nothing else to read. And there was some nugget of wisdom in there. And it, you know, and it shifted people, just turned them 180 degrees and other sorts of things. I think um, those moments, you know, where, it's, you know, folks just, you're sitting in a bar and it's in your cell and the light shining through the bars and it's count time. And um, I think... Yeah, those are pretty profound stories that happen a lot more in prison than maybe, you know, the average person kind of assumes. But there's some amazing, you know, just, you know, whatever whatever you want to label those moments, but those big come-to-awareness come to moments, and usually they're characterized, like you said, by humility, courage, 
dropping the judgment, dropping the BS, all that sort of stuff. Right, because you, you, yeah. you replace, you, you know, for our listeners, um, what I'm trying to say here from my own experience is how wonderful it is to uh, replace negative things like uh, hate and uh you know, resentment and all those things with forgiveness and love and in particular just positive thoughts, positive thoughts. The more you have positive thoughts in your mind and replace the negative ones, the more happier you're going to be. And uh, so, I mean, it's there's me preaching, I guess. Um, yeah. But that's me saying what I was on my mind. Um, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to also point out that being a employer, first I was just a guy getting out of prison who was on, who just really believed in myself and, um, but, but not arrogantly or overconfidently, but rather just like joyously ready to, you know, move on and make something happen. And, and the result was Dave's Killer Bread. And then there was, um, then I saw so many other people who, had their own transformations, and uh, it's, you know, it, it's so great. What I, my, one of the things I try to advocate for, I'm still in the early stages of this, but is to um, provide more opportunities upstream for guys and girls who are in prison to um, to have opportunities, you know, those opportunities to uh, go to school, um, to to learn something that's going to change your lives. I think uh, there's just not enough opportunities in there. I'm not I'm not totally sure what is available, and I'm trying to find out and see what we can do about making it better. I I just think people need opportunities to transform. Well, you know, Dave, you're also uh, working with uh, Bridges to Change, and. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's all about housing, you know, about getting uh, these guys and gals in, in some type of housing when they get right. out. So, And that's why that is crucial. The housing is, is very important for guys and girls getting out of prison. Uh, it's a challenge. Um, the, it's not the bigger challenge. It's actually the bigger challenge now than getting employment. Employment is readily available if you're not using drugs, if you're not totally irresponsible, if you're if you're willing to show up and and give a day's work, you can have a job nowadays. Uh, but upstream, that's another matter. And you know, making yourself uh, making yourself ready for opportunities when you get out. That's what you know. I'm kind of really. Um, you know, pulling for. I want to change things up in the prison system. So, so Kelly, you know, when you're working with these guys and these women, if you have with the women too, um, you see the transformations. You see how, you know, where they're at in, in, in you know, in their change. So, <clears throat> so say you have somebody, you know, they're going to be getting out in a year or six months or whatever. You know, what are some of the things that you would kind of concentrate on helping them with before they got out? Gotcha, lad. Yeah. So for me, so you know, one on a from an agency wide perspective, you know, we have a number of things, um, you know, that we do as far as critical things like in your birth certificate, yeah, getting, you know, kind of preparation for how am I going to work with my parole officer? How am I going to work with my family? Those sorts of things. So, you know, on that, on that front, we have a lot of infrastructure from the agency standpoint. And I think, you know, always striving to do a better job getting folks their health care and their benefits and things like that. So really, I'm proud of Oregon um, in that front. 
you know, I think for me, maybe to kind of drop into the chaplaincy level, but to drop into. Um, you didn't really ask Oh, that's that just talking. That's just talking out of turn, you know. My bad. Sorry. I'm gonna slap him here for you. Just a sec. Okay. So yeah. So I'm sorry, lad. I'm trying to get to the question there. Um, that I think for me, for people getting ready to release out of the facility, um, you know, thinking a lot about what what's happening in your head, right? So. Um, do you have a story? What's the story that you're telling yourself about when you when you're getting out of the facility? So, do you think that this you're going to have this relationship, or you're going to, you know, again those kind of thoughts, um, you know, that wherewithal? Like, I mean, like you guys have been talking about of um, what perspective, what lens are you bringing out to the world? Do you think that the world owes you something, or are you ready to just be joyful for you know whatever it is that comes your way? So some of that. Um, it's, it's very really attitudinal. Yeah. That's a huge. I, that's a huge transformation right there in itself. It's the beginning of transformation, I think, if not um, a second stage or whatever. Because guys, people in prison, um, at least my experience, most of them are used to instant gratification. They're used to, boy, I I, I go out and rob somebody. I'll, I'll do this. You know, I'll make this decision that's going to really screw up my life because I want to get this instant. Um, effect. Sometimes it, it could be, you know, doing drugs. Uh, it could be doing crime for, you know, for uh, for easy money, if you will. And um, you, you have to get over that. It's going to be, it, it's the hard part. It, it's the part of becoming humble, accepting uh, the situation that you put yourself in and doing something about it. Today's episode of Felony Inc. Podcast is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this, press releases, editorial pitches, etc., and they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package right for the future of your business. Also, listeners, please leave Felony Inc. podcast a review on iTunes. We might even read it on the air, motherfuckers. <laughs> hey, I just Whoa, read that. You swore. I, I, I didn't mean to say that. It says right here in the and that's paper. That's what it, uh, Mark, our public, you know, guy. Oh, yeah, geez, that's that Mark. Guy. That guy. Okay, because I, I would never use that kind of language. No. Right? All right. I'm so glad. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, let's back to Kelly. Where were we? Go ahead, lad. You, since you want to seem to want to talk all over me today, go ahead. Just, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give you a chance. Now is the time. Oh, for Pete's sakes! <laughs> all right, Kelly. You know, um, I just I, I just want to. You know, this is really not a question. It's just uh, when I went to prison, I was at OSCI. Um, you know, back in 19, uh, probably about 1988, and the chaplain there, Chaplain Henry, who was a chaplain at the time, was a big influence in my life. Um, I didn't really pay, play music before. He encouraged me to do that. He, uh, you know, I went down to the chapel and started hanging out with the guys that were going to the chapel. And then when I was transferred to other prisons, you know, the first thing I, I did whenever I went there was 
I would look up the the new chaplain and, and get involved in whatever services they had. So, you know, it's, I just want to give you kudos, you know, for what you do and the you know the lives that you affect, and because I know that it had it had a great impression on my life, and that's where my change came from. So. So I know sometimes, uh, you know, the, the chaplains will say, you know, it's nothing I really do. It's it's God. But you know what? Um, I believe it's it's in your hands as well. So I, I, I just want to personally thank you for that. Oh, thanks, Glenn. Yeah, it's, um, it's it, yeah, well, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to be a part of it, I think, for whatever pulls us into each spot that we end up being in in the story. It's uh, certainly a blessed position to be in. So. Yeah, the problem with that is that you can take that that prison and the good folks in there can take the, uh, the they can own the good stuff about Lad, but they also have to own the bad stuff. And let me tell you, there's a lot of bad stuff. That's true. So, um, anyway, back <laughs> to Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? You know, me and, hey Kelly, me and Dave have this system where we rate jokes. You know, if I get uh-huh. if I get a good slam on Dave in my book, it's a it's a six. You know, one to ten rating. If he gets a good slam on me, it's a six in his book. But it's on the opposite end; it's a four in my book. That last little slam Dave did that's probably a minus one. All right, but but uh, you know the the system is way beyond that. It's like seven is a good chuckle, eight is you know a little belly laugh, nine is is you know almost crying you're laughing so much or your tears are coming in your eyes and 10 guess what you die laughing you die you actually die yeah. laughing so yeah. anyway we haven't reached that yet we're close yeah so do you want to talk can you tell us a little bit about your personal life would you like to and i mean anything that you that you think might be interesting to share i don't want to uh put you on a on the spot but I, I'm just trying to get to know you. Oh yeah, sure. Um, so let's see. I so personally, I grew up in Montana. My dad was a veterinarian. I mentioned those things because I think they were pretty informative. We spent a lot of time with animals. We spent a lot of time out in the middle of nowhere. Um, but uh, so prisons then, like that too. You know, we spent a lot of time with animals. But go ahead. <laughs> I don't mean to interrupt you. Uh, but uh, now living in Oregon, I have a, a couple kiddos. I've got one who will turn four here this fall and another who will turn eight. Um, I was pregnant with both of those kiddos while I was a chaplain and um, so walked the tears of the penitentiary with that great big belly. And so um, hmm. anyway, so they've both done a little bit of time. Um, I have a husband who does um, vineyard management now. He changed careers here a year or two ago. So... Uh, he he harvests the wine grapes, and I go to work at the Department of Corrections, and then our kiddos, you know, bring us a lot of joy. So yeah, we live here in Salem, and I uh, have six chickens, which has been a lot of fun for us. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of our our life these days. Wow. Okay. Well, that's so you have pretty much a nice little normal life when you go into prison and. Um, you know, you're probably kind of one of the more normal parts of these guys' lives. I'm guessing it's a part where yeah, they... you know. Go ahead. I I think so in that idea that we you know we live 
you know, you kind of live in a bubble, and if you don't make a lot of effort, you kind of run in circles that generally people look like you and talk like you. And um, going into the prison system certainly has expanded my bubble, so to speak. And so I, yeah, I, you know, whatever you want to call me, normal or square or those other things, I think when I came into the prison system, certainly had a compassion for kind of an interest in justice social justice and other things like that, but exposed me to, uh, wow, there's a lot of folks that, that don't have that kind of normal life that I have, and it just got to know that in a little different way, but I think in turn, then, you know, offering back to other folks that, yes, there is really this thing called, um, <laughs> you know, work nine to five, have, you know, family you know, house, but again, that kind of life that I just described a little bit, and so, um, you know, it, it was, it, again, it was kind of, it was a privilege and I think mutually learning to say, you know, this is what I grew up with. I grew up with two great folks that, you know, very normal, always had my needs taken care of and, and vice versa and expanded one another's imaginations, hopefully, around um, what was possible for each other. And yeah, that, you know, we're big on that, you know, whether it's that idea, that concept that you bring, whether it's volunteers or other folks, let's bring a whole bunch of folks into the prison system that um, have fairly stable, you know, certainly non-criminal lifestyles. And um, maybe in, instead of telling people what not to do all the time, people can see what is possible or what's available. Uh, for them, so. Well, on that subject of bringing people in, um, are you talking yeah. about volunteers and things? Or did I take that right? Um, yeah. For volunteers coming into prison, you had another quote here in the article that I read, and it says, my impulse when someone in front of me is grieving deeply, my impulse is to touch, to console, maybe to embrace, to offer tea or phone calls. But in the commerce of the place I am at, I am not to touch, I am not to offer. Uh, another, the quote after that says, be prepared to be sexually aroused. When you walk into a men's prison, it's one of the very few places where, this, is this out of context or what, where you feel incomplete power? So I, 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 I thought that was a provocative statement. I had to, yeah, I had to mention it. it. It is a provocative statement, and I'll tell you, Dave. You know, when that when that article comes out from the Atlantic, and your employer looks at it, and the headline is "Be prepared to be aroused," some quotes that you know, you're like, "Oh shit! Well, I, that might not work out so well for me tomorrow." I'm not. <laughs> but um, that was, yeah, what I was speaking to when I worked with the Quakers in um, in Massachusetts. They there's this wonderful guide, and you can probably find it by googling it. But it's a group of female Quakers who write um, their advice from working inside of men's prisons for years. And, and that was one of those provocative things that I think got you know, taken a little out of context in the article. But, um, but the idea that, you know, kind of like what we were talking about before, um, it, but especially I think for them as a woman, when you're coming in as a female who has you know, an incredible amount of power in that context, um, you've got power, you've got freedom, you've got, you know, a number of other things. What they were really trying to speak to is, or for me, was, um, you know, be prepared to be in a place that that can turn you upside down or sideways, you know, in things, ways that you're not used to um, when you're coming into that. And that was one of the things that they were talking about, where it's just, again, those, you know, 
prisons tend to have if you're of the opposite gender, but not necessarily. Um, there's just, there is a tone of um, sexual, you know, you just, and it's not that it's, I, <laughs> my colleagues and I laughed a lot about, it's certainly not arousing, you know, for me, but I think that idea that there's an intensity about that and you better be prepared for that if you're going in and out of a prison context. It's just human sexuality as part of kind of trauma and power dynamics and other sorts of things. I get um, it. Um, a woman yeah. who may not be getting the power on the streets may, in, in other words, for example, may be having marital issues or, you know, even just for whatever reasons, um, this would be sort of a this could be a temptation for them. And uh, certainly it's a temptation for the guys that when a woman comes in prison, they're like, mm, how can I, a lot of them are like, oh, how can I get some of that, you know? Um, yeah. So. And I think, yeah, being aware of it, certainly, you know, and it just is kind of, the beauty of prison is it will, if you're paying attention, it will shine a big light on whatever your next wave of work is that you need to do, right? So whether it's complete intimidation and it freaks you out or whether it gives you, you know, in that particular kind of misquote and grab, you know, whether there's some arousal or power <laughs> quality to it. That was pretty, <laughs> that's pretty strong uh, language for the article there, yeah. And, well, and- yeah. They gotta, they gotta get those clicks, I think. Um, but soundbite. Anyway. Yeah, the soundbite. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it is, you know, I think that for people coming into prison, and I don't know what your experiences were with that, but, but there is this sense of fresh air that people, volunteers, you know, other folks bring. That's a little different than working with staff. And, um, and sometimes those volunteers, you know, can come into that setting and it's so, captivating in some way it's intimate and i use the word intimate not in a special sort of way but there's when you sit in a visiting room you know in our modern world go to a coffee shop with someone and you're doing about five different things while you're talking to that person but when you're in a visiting room or prison context it's you and that person um and so there's a level of intimacy matched by a level of you know neediness and awkwardness and other sorts of things um so I think just, you know, trying to really prepare people well um, to be in something that will, it will captivate you. It will, um, it'll become, you know, very interesting. For some people, it becomes incredibly meaningful it, of going in there and they have to come in every week to volunteer and serve and it becomes a big part of their narrative. That can just uh, provide a wide spectrum of emotions and um and possibilities, you know, good and bad, I would say. And um, boundaries, yeah. boundaries are huge. I imagine, and you did mention boundaries in the article too. Um, developing, you know, establishing boundaries because you're gonna. It's so easy to be manipulated by these guys. I mean, that's what they've been doing all their lives. They've been getting manipulated. They've been yeah. they've manipulated. They've been victimized. They've victimized. Um, you know. So when you a common, an average person who hasn't been around these sorts of people all their lives, who goes in and has some compassion, could quite likely be taken advantage of. Am I right? Yeah, 
I, I agree. I mean, if, you know, for, again, someone for like me, who the world has not beat me up, you know, the world has been, has a level of safety where, you know, there's a level of openness and giving and eagerness and, you know, kind of attachment, you know, motivated by, you know, healing the suffering, right? Whatever, if a lot of those folks come into prison and then you've got other folks for, for them, you know, it's like fish to water that, wow, I am going to scrap and manipulate and get what I can to meet my needs. And that, that becomes an interesting combination. Yeah, that's, that's pretty fascinating. Lad, do you remember, um, there was like some cool cats that used to come in. I remember some guy, I don't know if I call him a cool cat or just uh, a guy that, it was Crazy Eddie. Yeah. Crazy Eddie. Tell me about Crazy Eddie. Well, you know, he, he was a volunteer over at uh, Snake River when I was there. That's what I and remember him, too. He was quite a character. I mean, you know, it's uh, it's weird when you go to the chapel and uh, the volunteers come in. Sometimes uh, you have a connection with them. Sometimes you, you really don't because, you know, they're from a different class, you know, on the streets and whatever. Uh, but this guy, uh, he was down to earth, uh, spoke like we did, and you know, lived life like we did. But he was... On, on the good side of changing his life around. And when he came in there, I'm telling you, Dave, he, he just had a big impact because he was on our level. He knew how to communicate with us. <clears throat> and he was just one of those kind of guys that could, could touch lives. He was cool. But he also probably understood boundaries, um, you know, because a guy like that could be taken advantage of or, you know, people are going to like trying to work him out of this or that. And apparently, you know, he just filled his time up there with with uh, with things that allowed didn't allow him to be manipulated. He was just busy doing his thing. Yep, he was great. I can remember another guy for myself that was a Buddhist. Uh, came in and taught us Buddhist, and I I would never have considered myself a Buddhist, but I I was training or I was studying a little bit of it and, and trying to learn how to meditate and. Uh, I always appreciated. I always appreciated those guys who would come in and do that. Yeah, me too. So, so Kelly, you know, um, you were a chaplain, and now you're part of the administration. So, what do you do there? What is your what is your thing there? Yeah, what I what I do now is um, kind of a number of things. You know, from a central administration standpoint, overseeing anything from mail rooms and legal libraries to um, some of the work we do legislatively downtown, um, working on our um, kind of five-year plan, just trying to move the agency. A couple things I'm particularly excited about. Um, I do a staff wellness program that uh, teaches staff mindfulness and emotional intelligence skills, you know, going for a different day, but you know, when you come into the soup of a prison, you tend to kind of absorb the flavor and the smell of the, you know, that soup. And um, corrections doesn't always bode well for a number of our staff. Uh, so their their well-being outcomes are, are not great. So we've been doing for the last five years a mindfulness, emotional intelligence class for staff. Um, have some, actually some silent retreats that um, some of our staff are going on now. So I do that. And then we're starting some conversations, you know, just putting our feed in the water, kind of what I call an audacious prospect of what would it be like to have trauma-informed uh, prisons. You know, we're kind of dabbling in a variety of ways, but what does it really mean 
um, for folks to kind of take on this new research about neuroscience and trauma and ACE scores and all that other sort of stuff and, you know, really take a look at how we do prison systems. So those are a couple of things I'm working on right now. Well, it seems like we're becoming a society that's more willing to uh, let down our guard and, and be a little more transparent um, and allow ourselves to be fixed or to be to have the opportunity to um, to let go of negative things like trauma in the past uh, and the and the people that the, you know I I remember when I became free in prison uh, as I say. Uh, I started to forgive. I began to forgive, and I, I stopped resenting and hating the corrections officers because, you know, the ones that, I, that were a pain in the butt, I, I just started seeing them as struggling in their own lives and therefore not, you know, I, I started, because of where I had gotten to in my life, I felt like I was free and they weren't, uh, you know, which was ironic, yeah. right? And yep. but I had compassion for them instead of like uh, looking at them in a, in a bad way. I didn't I didn't look at them as less than or anything. And I understood where they were coming from, and it really helped me to get through my time. So uh, anyway, I'm kind of I've done a lot of talking. And do you have anything else quickly to say, um, Kelly? Would you like to get out anything else before we wrap up today? No, I just I appreciate your comment. I think that. Um you know, inside of that prison system, that narrative of kind of an us versus them and a, you know, Wiley Coyote and a Roadrunner, you know, that those images, the more we can shift away from that and again to that idea of, wow, the human fabric of folks. So anyway, just, yeah, I think it's a great note to end on. There we'll, we'll end on that note then. Uh, I think that's a good positive <laughs> way to end the, the show. Uh, thanks again, Kelly Rath, for joining us. And next week's guest is Barbara Kennard, Communications Manager of Oregon Corrections Enterprises. Do you know Barbara by chance, uh, Kelly? I know her pretty well. Yeah, that's great. She's going to be on with you. Cool. Now, she, uh, now Oregon Corrections Enterprises manufactures uh, prison blues, blue jeans made inside the wall. When you purchase prison blues, not only do you get a quality product that looks and fits great, you also help support a program that teaches inmates the valuable working skills they need to become contributing members of society. Lad, you need to go back and take that program. I will. Uh, join us this and every week live at 10 a.m. Pacific Time at StartupRadioNetwork.com. If you don't join us live, we may visit your house late at night when you're least expecting it and make you listen. Breaking and entering Lad's ass again. This will be full on breaking and listening. Ouch. And coming up after the break is Latino Founder Hour with your hosts, Edgar Navis and Claudia Cardenas. Their podcast is usually in Spanish, so que pasa. Talk to you next week. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.